Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of the Pedagogy Matters podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to bring to the fore some key topics of conversation in relation to learning and teaching, to discuss, to break down aspects of practice and provide snippets, advice and guidance as to how to integrate these into daily practice. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by John Ridley, Vice Principal at Newcastle College and Executive De- Director of Higher Education at NCG. John, welcome. How are you? Very well. How are you? I'm great, thanks. I'm great. So, John, the topic of today's podcast is chosen by you, you know, which is a really interesting topic. And it's quite a mouthful in terms of the social action that is teaching versus teaching as transaction. So, what does that mean? Go on, break it down. <laughs> Tell me. I think all that means is, is that I think it's really important we recognise the social aspect of learning. So, while we're physically distancing as teachers and students, as students distance from their, their, their peer groups, teachers distant from our campuses, we're still making possible the social experience and collaboration of the social learning networks. And perhaps it's it's why video is so popular, why we've moved to video platforms so we can still see each other. Because I, I think that it's really important we move away from any suggestion of producing online content, you know, for asynchronous or synchronous delivery to produce learning experiences because it's in experiences i think you learn and that's all that means no i think you're absolutely right because again when we're face to face that's the approach we should be taking anyway as opposed to a transmission of of information around those engaging learning experiences but yeah some really interesting points i hope we'll, we'll cover in the next 20 30 minutes so briefly obviously last 10 months from from your experience what's been the i would say the most significant changes or challenges within uh, the sector that you've been working in yeah, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because I think what the heart of what I've learned over the past 10 months is it's incredibly early to know how effective online learning methods are. Yeah. And what I've learned over the past 10 months is, is that we've all become learners. We've all explored new territories. And I think it's fascinating to understand the impact of enforced online teaching and enforced online learning and often the open university is considered as a, as, as a, as a, as a platform for online learning which it is but it's looked to as a model and I think the distinct difference between the online university model is the students are discerning they've chosen to study online but even the open university has elements of present in person teaching yeah when we've occupied space that has been enforced online then there is no opportunity for present in person teaching and everybody has had to pivot whether they like to or not to embrace technology or to use technology or even to acknowledge technology i think what i've learned is is that both that the sector both teachers and students are incredibly resilient and they're incredibly adaptive and I've been really heartened to see, and I'm, I'm sure IT departments across Scotland and certainly across the UK will will uh, will know this, that they've managed to achieve in 10 months what they've been struggling to achieve in three years to get people to use alternative means to teach. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I know from my experience back in Newcastle College before I left, we shifted the whole college to Microsoft Teams in three days. And within six months, we, I'm going to say, effectively wiped out the VLE. You know, which was a huge shift, which would have taken absolutely three years. 
a conversation this morning with, with Dundee and Angus College in, in Scotland uh, because of some circumstances out there control last February. They did the same. You know, so it shows that actually the, the significant opportunities as well, you know, within the current landscape and beyond to really refresh and look at the best of both worlds. But you're absolutely right in terms of well, 10 months into this, and it's a very different um, base to start off with in terms of we're dealing with, with all learners as opposed to learners that choose to do so. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No, so I was just saying it would be kind of, it would be interesting to kind of find out what your thoughts and feelings are on, I'm going to say, key bits of learning so far and kind of elements of research in, in the last 10 months. And that's kind of maybe shaped your practice or, or shaped the practice of your institution there as well. Yeah, I mean, in terms of, in terms of what what I've seen in, of, of a behaviour is, and it's less about research and more about just a good book. If anybody gets a chance to read The Tipping Point by uh, Martin Gladwell, I, I think you can. We've really seen different groups of 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 practice. So we've got the innovators, um, those staff who were adventurous, who were the first to try, swear, first to use other means. I mean, you were one of them, Johnny. Uh, and really confident and just embraced it. This is fantastic. It's exciting. Let's m- move there. Yeah. And then once once we had those uh, those innovators, we then were able to build on those and that enthusiasm, and then infuse the early adopters. And those early adopters that certainly I've seen in our institution, they're the opinion leaders. They've spread an idea that's worked for them, and they've killed ideas that don't work for them. So, for example, you mentioned about how we how at Newcastle college um, teams dominated and then progressed us from using a, a virtual learning environment and that was endorsed by those early adopters yeah. teams was a niche pro- i mean I, I, i'll hold my hands up 10 months ago i didn't know what teams was and here we are 10 months later and i'm rather conversant with it and so many teachers and now so now we've got those early adopters who are using teams who are really familiar with them and we're adding different um functionality to teams we then have and we're supporting colleagues for whom they're kind of the late late adopters and the majority adopters who aren't particularly familiar with with technology yeah and the use of teams the use of zoom is a platform for teaching that's very unusual for them and we're supporting them to be comfortable and confident and the thing that i've been really heartened to see is how all teachers in our institution and across uh, across the country have embraced the the opportunities and you said opportunity is is critical and i think it's the word i think things don't change overnight yeah. and instead this is the opportunity to do things better to explore new and different ways to approach learning so that and the question we're asking ourselves and i'm sure all of the institutions are asking up and down the country is so what can i do on campus present in person in a workshop that I can't do online and it's magnified the consideration of flipped learning yeah you know what 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 what's unique about that experience that students and teachers get when they're together in a classroom and then how do I therefore make the most of that face-to-face time and then conversely how do I make most of the online learning time as well they're they're the early takeaways that I've taken no it's interesting some kind of really key questions there and I think I'm going to jump back to that word you said, opportunity. And I know from my experience of working across the Scottish colleges sector is that a lot of lecturers are, are seeing this as an opportunity where they want to reach out and help and understand more. We've just launched some curriculum development groups across 14 curriculum areas where we've had 450 lecturers sign up 
which is great. So we'll come along to, to share and collaborate and understand because they're hungry to understand what the opportunities are to enhance both their online delivery as well as look at and really start those discussions really around how do we use this moving forward? What's the best way? But in order to do that effectively, we've got to understand, I'm going to say, the opportunities and limitations in the current technology to then make that kind of rational view or that rationed um, discussion moving forward. So that's really interesting. I think the thing with I think the thing with ten months being such a narrow period of time is, I think colleagues, educators, leaders of education, practitioners have had to wade through our rumours, and evangelists, and so the rumours are of things of you know what works and what doesn't work pretty well, and they start to percolate through your institutions. So, for example, you've got to have a breakout room. Yeah. or you need to annotate and then the evangelists are where colleagues or tech companies have have offered panaceas of if you use this this will solve all of your issues and that's what there isn't presently there isn't a a body of evidence for comparison or there's a body of evidence for for colleagues to orientate themselves against and i i think i I'm very keen to to consider less about educational research, but more which is wider considerations about. I was reading a, a book called the, the Third Pillar, um, and it talked about disruptive te technological change, and it mentioned about how past technological revolutions have been disrupted, disruptive, sorry, and prompted societal reaction, and eventually resulted in a societal change that helped us to get the best out of the technology. And I wonder if presently, institutions, students and colleagues are trying to get the best out of the technology rather than think about how they can use the technology to get the best out of teaching and learning. I think that's well, where we are. I think that's a really interesting point because I, I guess in, in some cases that's a needs must right now as well, isn't it? I yeah. guess a lot of lecturers, a lot of, lot, lot of providers are in survival mode. How do we get from one week to the next? And I know, like I guess at, at CDM, we've been talking about that really for the summertime or, or springtime is trying to provide that space to have those conversations. Look, what does it look like? What have we learned? What what can we take forward? That's actually really been fantastic in this last 10 month period. An example being IT learners. This is a broad brush statement, which isn't necessarily necessarily reflective of, of the whole IT curriculum. But in the main, IT students have really embraced this world of living because it's removed a significant amount of barriers. However, it's very different than for different curriculum areas and different levels and different individual learners there as well. But yeah, I think there's some really interesting topics and, and kind of points. I think the point that the, the point you just touched upon is a is a matter that was being grappled with um certainly in in our region amongst businesses amongst the idea that you know was digital in itself a sector or is digital everything and i think certainly the past 10 months have shown us that it is not the preserve of just the it curriculum faculty Absolutely. um you know, sports staff i've seen some really uh, innovative practice that's been taking place in the sports department the health department art department um Childcare, areas that you wouldn't hair and beauty, areas that you wouldn't typically music and performing arts. There's somebody I'm going to leave out, and they'll, they'll feel I'm ignoring <laughs> them, and I'm not. Um, what I'm the point I'm making is is that departments that weren't typically applying digital and didn't think that computing and digital was part of their practice are now quickly pivoting to what I think is a hinge point in history where we will look at this as the birth of the 21st century. This is a this is a a global move to online domain. So the skills we're teaching now, you know, we, if you're 
call back certainly in, in England, where IT used to be a key skill. It's it's evident now, isn't it? You know, it, it's it's a given. You've got you must you, you you must be IT literate. At least you must be IT conversant. Yeah, no, you're right in terms of that that, that tipping point or that hinge point in terms of, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure like you and, and like most colleagues around the country, you know, I've got young children who are engaging in online learning. So again, as always, when we talk about kind of the shift to different technology, using iPads in classrooms or whatever, it's about being prepared for our next set of students. Whereas now has been a that sudden increase and that sudden development of, yeah, you're absolutely right about kind of technology being part of daily practice, which is really interesting. And I think, sorry, go on, go on John. No, please. And I think it's it's interesting there to kind of look back to, right, so in this current time, how do we get the most out of that? I know we've talked long and hard in the past around routines being a key part of that. And, I, and I'm kind of keen to know what your thoughts are around routines in um in the current world as and kind of are they just as important are they more important what what your thoughts and views are on that i mean routines and rhythms and habits are always important i think but i think the challenge with routines at present is there's been a dynamic shift and a weakening of what we might call legitimate authority that the college or the education setting has because students aren't in the physical presence of their teacher they aren't in an environment with their peers they're not occupying the space that elicits that ingrained habits and skills and disposition of, well, this is what this is how I should behave when I'm in this workshop or I'm in the class. You know, they they don't feel the social pressure. In fact, like the teacher, they're not they're occupying a completely different space. So I think I, I've mentioned this to you before. I don't find it surprising that some teachers have commented that students are eating breakfast during a session. And that's probably because they're eating the breakfast because their laptop is in the kitchen. So the behaviours, habits and routines of being in the kitchen is having breakfast. And that's where the laptop sits. And that creates substantial challenges for both the student and the teacher to create healthy routines and rhythms that will contribute towards teaching and learning. So, and I also suggest as well that it's the, I remember back in 2001, Prensky's work about digital natives, digital immigrants, and we were, as a group of teachers, considering, well, how do we use social media to reach out to students and to teach? And it was mentioned that, well, if you do that, it's like having your parents in your bedroom. You're, you're, you're occupying space that that, that students use to, to socialise. Well, yeah. now, quite literally, we are teaching students in their bedroom in some instances. So I think that there are things we can do but it's first to recognise that the reason routine becomes more important and the reason we were learning about uh, the dynamic between uh, of, of students and the important teachers and the importance of the environment is that the change in the environment, the change in the location will by by definition change the routines and rhythms and behaviours of the students. No, I think that's a really important point. And, and as you alluded to, it kind of start with that point there, students necessarily don't feel, or don't necessarily feel the social pressure that they would have of coming in five minutes late into a classroom or coming into a classroom and, and sitting down and, and, and adhering to those rules. And I think that's a really important point, which I think, I'm not going to say has been missed, but maybe not been consciously thought about by, I'm going to say, lecturers and managers across the sector, because we've all just flipped to working remotely, whether by via bedrooms, kitchens, living rooms. And, and I guess, you know, now more than ever, I suppose there's a challenge whereby we may have that feeling, well, well it's okay for us, we're doing this. 
we expect students to do the same. You know, I'm not sure if that's right or not, but I think that's an interesting point. And and that and that kind of goes to the um, to, to the to the heart of what I what I was mentioning in terms of the title of this podcast is yeah. it's teaching a social uh, as kind of a social action, not a transaction. And the importance of the camera, the importance of being able to see each other is, and I say this as somebody who gave a presentation early in the week to colleagues. I couldn't see them and I was just progressing through my presentation and it felt very alien. It felt very isolated because here I was sitting in a room at home. There's nobody in the room. I got no, none of the, the, the non-verbal cues that would allow me to understand if, if colleagues were, I'm sure they were trying to disguise their boredom. So, um, but then they were awake or engaging. That becomes a real challenge because uh, that that's the case for colleagues who are teaching as well. If you if your presentation's up and you can't see the students, there's a, there's, you you lack that immediacy, you lack that that immediate engagement to understand and check, check for learning, check for understanding, check for engagement. But then equally as well, I spoke to students um, last week and we were having a discussion about the importance of the camera being on. And I thought it's very, I thought it's fascinating. Some of the, some of some of the insights really made me consider it through a different lens. Where some some of the students, these were uh, students studying higher education, so they were they were older. Um, they talked about I don't want to put my camera on because I don't want other people to see inside my house. I don't want to see inside. It's an intimate space. That's my space. And I think perhaps that's where we talked them about. Well, you know, what what's the positives and the negatives about having your camera on or off. And perhaps there's the nuance that, well, you could use the blur your background feature. So yeah. you can't see your, your home environment, but you can still see you. And then the other thing that was mentioned, and I hadn't thought about this until, until it was mentioned, was when you're at your camera, everybody can see every nuance of your expression. You're, the camera's almost, you're almost always at a close-up. And you know, in film and television, in the, the grammar of film, the close-ups, you, you go close-up to get an emotional response from someone. And and therefore, you can always be read. It's, a, it, it's just a different dynamic and a curious no, development. And again, I think, I, I think I'm always keeping to stress, there's no right or wrong answer. You know, it's about what's, what's right for you, what's right for your learners. You know, we've talked a lot in the past, both uh, when colleagues, but also advise podcasts around the importance of knowing your learners, which obviously within... The most recent lockdowns particularly difficult compared to last academic session academic year where the lockdown happened later in the year but you know and, and i think it's interesting when you talk about the panacea earlier on and i, I know probably a criticism of myself when i was a, a, a lecturer is that i always wanted the answers so tell me how do i do it how do i solve this problem and i think i'm keen to stress i'm sure you probably are too look there's no right answer there's, there's no quick fire solution to any of these things and i was as always looking on social media earlier this week in terms of lecturers and teachers from across the UK talking about these exact issues, camera on, camera off, talking to a brick wall, not getting any feedback, and some really simple strategies as in uh, the, the lecturer put in two statements in the chat for learners to like, and that's how they got some quick tangible feedback where 20, 20 thumbs up said, I understand what I'm doing, two thumbs up said, I don't know what I'm doing, you know, so there's different ways and means of whether that's a camera on, camera off, microphone, likes, thumbs, whatever, I think, so yes, yeah, it's, it's really about kind of building those routines for yourself, isn't it, John? Uh, I I totally agree with you. And you know, when when we work together, and and you are very big on on routines, and and I I have a great empathy towards that approach. That, that was, I, I think it's important to try and 
routines and rhythms and habits, I think, provide great reassurance. And at a time when we're living in, in such uncertainty, there's elements of reassurance that perhaps you could ingrain in your practice. And I'm loath to tell teachers how to teach. There's some suggestions, though, where perhaps leave the first two or three minutes of your session as a virtual greeting, as, as you would when people come through the, through the door. So everybody just does a check in. Yeah. You know, talk about and we talked about I talked about this to the student group I was talking to a week or two ago, you know, set some set some targets. If so, as a teacher, you could say, look, I feel more comfortable if your camera's on and if the group doesn't, then set some targets. OK, when will you feel comfortable to do that? What do we have to do to make you feel comfortable or accept that? It's not going to materially impact how you know the quality of learning. I think as well, the the idea too, and, and it's something you you were very big on. You here was looking for students who are exhibiting those positive learning behaviours and reinforce that those successes. So it's really always looking for the, for the, the the positives in the environment to to enhance the routines of the class. Yeah. But as as I said, it would be remiss of me to say that after ten months there is a gold standard. Um, that there isn't and and I think that it's we, we are learning and, and also we need to acknowledge as well that while I'm sure we'll get onto that there as well as routines there are patterns of behavior as well that become very important um, to enhance. Yeah. And we'll touch upon that next I think just it, it's important when we talk about routines again the most recent podcast record was talking about feedback and building building time into to learning time to really focus and enhance on feedback you know and, and the same with routines it's really important to kind of build time in to develop these routines and to build those relationships with students. And like you say, well, that's two minutes at the start of a session. I know a former colleague used to play music for the first two minutes just for students to welcome in. And, and it became habit and routine as students actually comment or give feedback on the song choice for the day and, and how that linked to the, to the session, how it linked to, you know, so it's whatever works for you. But it's about helping learners with that social action, you're right, of teaching, building that rapport, building that relationship and all these aspects in terms of routines is just doing that. I think that's really yeah. important, and which is a nice lead on to patterns of behaviour. You know, so you, you kind of start us off before by talking about we can't necessarily change where students work, especially when they're working in the home. We can't say don't work at your, at, at your kitchen table or, or you can't sit on your bed. Absolutely not. But it's about, yeah, so it's really interesting looking at, I guess, patterns of behaviour. And I think whether we look at that for staff and for students. So what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean. I don't think there's any shortcut to, to knowing our students, but focusing on establishing relationships, and I, and I know I listened to a, a previous podcast, you know, it is fundamental. It is a fundamental part of building effective learning behaviours in and outside the physical classroom. And uh, very privileged, I work with some absolutely fantastic colleagues um, at, at Newcastle, and you know, one of my colleagues, um, a lady called Nikki Turnbull, she's she's really big on 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 developing pedagogies of care and compassion, and she's bringing that research. She's studying for for a PhD, and she's bringing that research into pedagogies of care, particularly in the work of uh, Professor Caroline Watergleaves, who is a leading researcher in these uh, pedagogies. And, and that, by the way, is why I love working at colleges because you can. Take, it's like living constant action research and I'd encourage Absolutely. anybody listening to this podcast is if you take an idea you have a really unique position to try those ideas on kids 16 to 18 year olds and adults and yeah. adults from different backgrounds and given the mixed economy of and the importance that colleges play within their communities and the different people come into contact with you can really see the benefit of that research 
but when we're talking about building those pedagogies of care, then I, I think there there are three elements that 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 Nikki kind of promotes, and these are the work of uh, of Professor Watergleaves, and they are unobstructed dialogue, you know, increasing those opportunities for caring dialogue that closes the distance between teacher and student. And what, what do you mean by that? How are you doing this morning? You okay? How are you getting on? Showing that you care. Because I, I think the other element that, that perhaps we've touched upon is, is that, or that we haven't touched upon, which we need to acknowledge is, there are lots of support services available in colleges. Yeah. But I think the most important relationship is for a student to know that their teachers care about them. Totally agree with that. You know, and, and that was kind of touched upon, I think, so far in every every kind of podcast so far and every lecture you speak to, you know, they recognise the value and importance of of that relationship with the teacher or students that can make or break the, the kind of progress and, and, and development. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and 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 another and another one, and again, I'm, this I, I can take no no credit for this, but this is something we're really working on. This is the work that that, that Nikki's doing uh, at our organisation is, and 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 all, and I'm sure all colleagues will just know this implicitly is that all relationships have got to be respectful, yeah, and at at all levels provide the recognition that it's a two way process, and I think where you get real strong relationships and real positive dynamics between student groups and teachers is where they know there's a respectful reciprocal arrangement in their communication and now i'm loath to say and and because i don't accept it is where colleagues say well you have to you have to treat a set of entry-level students different to those who are postgraduate i disagree with that i think that you treat the students as a student group presents themselves and i think to to label students as a lower level student meaning that that's some form of deficiency mm -hmm. misses the fact that they are students studying a discipline at an entry level so really understanding your students is important and not suggesting then at the other end of the spectrum well they're in their final year of their degree or they're studying postgraduate so they can just get on with it they, they may not be able to it's so it's really understanding your students and really understanding each individual and then the other the final one is and it's obvious is just when you're having online dialogue with, with students is listening showing empathy being supportive giving praise encouraging feedback and then the one i know that you're big on johnny as well is having high standards and an active concern for the students and recognizing the context that the, all students find themselves now i think there's some really interesting points and yeah, I think colleagues who listen to this and say, well, that's common sense. You know, that's kind of what I'm doing, what I should be doing. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's it's important that we have a conscious awareness of those points as well and the impact that they can have, you know, because I think, again, with with everything that's going on, especially in the current climate, it, 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 it's easy not to forget those things, but to, to maybe not place as much, much emphasis on those that underpin everything else that takes place. Like you say, providing then that social opportunity for learning to take place. And I think the kind of key point that resonated there was was listening, you know, in, in terms of the active listening and really understanding. And it, it's difficult because, you know, always when working with lecturers, I've only got so much time, I can only do X, Y, and Z. But it's also about 
again come back to knowing your students and knowing what's important and, and to do that you've got to have that rapport you've then got active listening and so on and so forth you know so hopefully this is because i go on no i was going to say but there is the opportunity there isn't there that it's it's and i totally um I totally accept that point that perhaps what was just discussed, colleagues may see that, and people listening to this podcast may see that as common sense. But I'd encourage people to reflect Absolutely. on their practice. Are, are you are they doing? Are you doing that enough? Are you listening? You know, are you are you supporting your students, and and ultimately, are you supporting them with challenge as well? You're not forgiving students, and this is not kind of this is beyond um, the soft and easy approach for students. Are you challenging them? because you know them and you know they can kind of do a little bit more than they think they can. You can you can move them just outside of where they are presenting as a comfort zone because that's really knowing your students as well. And I, I know, you know, there are some fantastic examples of colleagues up and down the country where they go above and beyond to support their students. What I'm talking about is just on that daily pra daily practice, your daily routine of engaging those behaviours with your students. And so you know your students well enough. You know when to listen. You know when to intervene. You know when this, when some students, and we have them, don't we, are trying to pull the wool over their eyes because there's plenty of excuses not to submit work now. Lots. Now, you have to make the judgment call of whether that's a legitimate reason or not. And then because we, we are at a point now where I think we are going to move into and, and while we're in a process in, in lockdown of enforced online learning, it's likely that hybrid learning or a high flex, a hybrid flexible model of teaching will will prevail for the future. Yeah, I'm interested so, to see how that how that comes in across different qualification types, across different age groups, across different levels there as well. So I know, yeah, I know lots of college are having conversations around actually. This has allowed us to remove a number of barriers and actually enhance those relationships with students. And kind of provide those spaces for discussion to understand learners better and, and all those different elements there as well you know so I think yeah. some really interesting conversation points there moving forward yeah absolutely you know knowing knowing your students is is, is critical and i'm sure everybody listening to this would, would agree and probably i rule it's so obvious but by also knowing your students it's also knowing when when not to take the soft and easy option and approach yeah. with students and provide them with a bit of, with a bit of chat with challenge and, and nope. place that challenge and i think that's that's important and, and that's where perhaps we're in a position where in a process of on of enforced online learning we've all we're starting to just explore the parameters of what's possible and what's not no i think you're right there and, and again one key thing that jumps off straight away when you talk about knowing your learners and challenge them and getting the most out of them which links into recent developments for example microsoft teams is breakout rooms yeah. you know so go back three years or even 12 months you know, a key point was when placing learners in groups, consciously placing them in groups to, to challenge them, get the most out of them. And exactly the same principle there is in the terms of breakout rooms. You know, don't just go randomly any three learners. You know, consciously do that with learners to challenge them, to really understand their depth of understanding and to explore that further. You know, which again, uh, I'm sure there's been elements of practice which has been forgotten because of, we may have just moved to breakout rooms, great, right? It's going to save it. Let's just go and spread out randomly. You know, so it draws back to the fundamentals of, of, of teaching practice again, because in, in previous podcasts, John, we've talked about how, yes, 
we are in a totally different world and, and doing different medium, but actually the pedagogy is still the same. It's just done via a different approach in, t- mm-hmm. in terms of the, the fundamental aspects of teaching practice are still there. It's just the methods and, and means of how we do that is different currently. Yeah, important. I, I wonder, but but I wonder if, and it goes back to the idea of, of, of where learning's taking place is, place, is how effective those traditional pedagogies will be yeah. and, and, and an advancement of it. So, you know, when we talk about behaviours and, and knowing your students, and, and that social action of learning as well is uh, where we've got all the students as well as the opportunity that asynchronous learning yeah. provides for, for, the, for those students where, you know, those it can be quite liberating the patterns of behaviour that they can now access. So I know if, if I'm a parent and I need and I was rushing to get to college campus at 9.30 after I dropped my son or daughter off at school or I was, I'm on night shift and I'm rushing to get to college or I'm, I'm, I'm on late shift and I've got to get out of class and get to work, then online asynchronous learning creates a liberating opportunity doesn't it absolutely and and that perhaps is is a behavior we talk about behaviors for students we as as educators have to perhaps change our behaviors in terms of our expectations of, of the future as well and what what will be expected of us and what we would expect of others because i do think that uh, i think one of the definite opportunities are, are is is the liberating opportunity that technology will yeah. provide for all the students um, who've got, or, or I'll phrase that for students that have got work-life balance or personal life yeah. challenges to to be on campus. And again, I think on that point, it's really interesting where I think, again, the last 10 months has really shifted that opportunity focus for managers as well. You know, because yeah. if we go back 12 months and say, right, people can work from home a day a week or, or online delivery doesn't have to be an hour and a half, it can be 20 minutes in, in task. I think that would have really sent shoppers through the second and think, hey, we can't do that. You know, where I've came from a world in the past of of every minute is measured and you, you teach eight to eight hours a year and, and so on and so forth. Well, actually, I'm not saying that's going to disappear, but the approach and means in which we do that, you know, is a real discussion point moving forward as well. Because it's not going to change the, the impact of education, but like you say, it's about meeting the needs of our learners, which I think is, is a fundamental part in all this, or providing, providing opportunities to do that. It's a fascinating insight, though, isn't it, what you said in terms of the impact of learning uh, and what is learning and where does learning t- take place? And, you know, I think this is a real opportunity to, to consider um, what and how we teach and what and how we learn. Um, I'll I, I present my personal view. I, I don't think you can replace the real richness and value of being present in person with with a group or one-to-one or in an environment that's very specific if you're teaching or studying a technical or vocational discipline. But I do think online learning, and certainly as we are challenging what online learning might look like, you know, when you've got with uh, virtual or augmented reality, it's quite exciting where that could go. Because I do think it, it does, on the one hand, it means that learning doesn't have to be bound by geography. So you no longer have to live near the college yep. to study at the college. But on the other hand, which is a, is a, is a, an issue we're tackling nationally, and I know you're in Scotland and so nationally both the UK, Scotland and, and, and England is the digital divide and digital poverty. Um, and it probably demonstrates the importance of, so probably definitely demonstrates the importance of being, of having access to a digital infrastructure and digital IT to, to learn. It's really, really important that we don't lose sight of that. No, I would totally agree. Because again, that's at the heart of everything. Any ideas or strategies or approaches that are developed for the future, that's absolutely got to be at the heart of it. 
because like you say, if we're eliminating a, a proportion of student base straight away, then there's no point in doing it. Doing it, you know. Yeah. But there's some really interesting points. And I think I'm going to say the key word for me within this kind of episode has really been opportunity. You know, I think everyone across the sector recognise it's an opportunity right now, but we we really do have a fundamental opportunity to. I'm going to re-envisage or, or reshape or, or redevelop what learning looks like, and that's a, that's the word that's going to be at the heart of not teaching but learning, and and, and how and, and where and, and what and and all those all those bits around it. So it's going to be really interesting the next 12, 24, 36 months ahead to see where we go and and kind of how this looks. Yeah, and I mean, really, definitely opportunity. The other thing, if 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 I was thinking about what people would take away from from this conversation, would be compassion and care yeah and also and colleagues who i work with are really really reviewing this at the moment is the importance of tutorials and and, and not just tutorials as a pastor as a pastoral exercise that a tutor that isn't your subject specialist does but that opportunity this is an opportunity to really rethink what we do in tutorials you know and uh, again take i can't take any credits as all Nikki's considerations, but I, I'm really taken by the idea of listening tutorials, finding yeah. out about the students as a subject specialist to learn more. And then, so where do they have to take place? Because uh, perhaps tutorials have become laboured and, and 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 a tick box activity. Yep. Um, and mean where you cram other other activities that are non-subject specialist in. And I just wonder if it's, this is the opportunity to have to have those personal encounters with students and to really get to know their needs, really get to know who they are, subject specialists. So that's that's a real opportunity, I think, where to 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 review and get under the skin of. So there's a there really is that pedagogy of care, pedagogy of compassion. You took the words right out of my mouth. I was going to kind of come back to that because yeah, again from my experience in the past, where where these have not been done very well. Students may have been hothoused, you know, 10 minute back to back slots where it's quite rushed to tick a box to fill in a form. And that's a fundamental part of both our current practice and practice moving forward is to, is to really place those at the heart of what we do, to know our students, to, to provide some listening opportunities and to develop. So, yeah, I'm going to kind of jump back to, to Mark's key word from the second podcast around nourishment as opposed to takeaways. Yeah. Those aspects of nourishment are around really that care, the pedagogies of care. But also we'll jump back to what you said towards the very start in terms of the gold standard of practice that we are currently engaging isn't known. Absolutely not. You know, there's all research out there is heavily based around the HE. They're heavily based around the captive audience of learners who wanted to engage within that setting. And yeah, I know you're very keen on on, on lecturers going through this process right now and being reflective in each and every part to try and shape then our future practice. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. No, well, that's fantastic, John. Really, really interesting and kind of really, really uh, insightful thoughts around the current situation and beyond. And we'll be sure to, be sure to, uh, to keep in touch and find out how it's going and, and kind of look at how we can maybe do some core work with NCG and, and Scottish colleges to, to shape things moving forward there as well. That'll be great. Great. Thank you for your time, John. Thanks. <laughs>